This is Payments Innovation. We take you deep into the DNA of digital finance with some of the most respected voices in the industry. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Payments Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Ernanwine, and I'm joined by my good friend, the CEO and founder of Datasoft Group, Raheem Harji. How's it going, Raheem? Good, Scott. Thanks for having me on. I love hearing your stories from earlier in your career. So for those who don't know, I work with Raheem in a partnership between Datasoft and Currency Cloud, but Raheem is actually from a very, shall we say, famous foreign exchange family in, in Canada. You know, your brother Arif runs Pay My Tuition, your brother Hanif runs uh, MTFX. So how did this all start? How did, How is it that three brothers ended up um, running three successful uh, foreign exchange across border businesses. Did you guys do it together? Did you come up together? Or are you guys constantly competing with each other and family dinners are a riot because everybody's trying to figure out who who has the best foreign exchange company? <laughs> well, look, I think it's definitely in the DNA. So our story is, is unique in the sense that I'm the youngest of three brothers and um, with MTFX starting what seems to be about 20 something years ago, the first FX platform that I wrote was on the back of my eldest brother sitting me down, and uh, I think I was in high school at the time, um, asking me to build out, I think it was a Visual Basic platform that uh, handled profit recognition. Now, you have to understand, I'm in grade 12, I didn't really know much um, about life, but it was definitely my first taste into it. You know, they started as a high-touch, high-service unit and then on the back of our FX office core, they branched out and pay my tuition, I think is just an incredibly successful platform where they've taken on the top of our core and built some fantastic proprietary componentry and then have it plugged into our API. You know, that's essentially becomes the success story. In a few sentences, how would you sum up what it is that you guys do and what your main offering is? We are an end-to-end FX and global payments platform that services banks, foreign exchange brokers, global payment specialist firms. The entire platform covers everything a FX firm might want from a technology standpoint. We've been around for about 15 years. We're active in various continents. I'm glad you're here because I enjoy talking to people from this side of the industry. So traditionally, FX is done through financial institutions, banks, and FX brokers. Most of our customers these days are on the fintech side. They're new to the FX world. and They don't truly understand the roots of, of how this business is done. So um, I'm, I'm glad you have you on to provide that insight. You've been in the game for about 15 years. So how has it evolved, the FX broker landscape in the last 15 years? And how is it going to continue to change? Well, good question. So look, 15 years ago, the majority of of our focus was on FX firms that really solved the friction of cross-border payments. In those 15 years, what has occurred is you've got your typical money services business or your typical FX broker that has been around for decades. And what has really evolved is the business focus. So some of these players, high touch, high service, and it really amazes me still that uh, they do so well, that they continue their organic growth and continue to thrive and sustain. But at the same time, I think as you know, the world of APIs have taken root, as I guess different payment modernization has occurred, some of these MSBs have also evolved on towards uh, fintechs themselves. They've changed gears and they have started to deploy 
API-first type solutions. They've started to build out very unique verticals uh, in different niche areas that are all technology-first. Or, in some cases, they have stood up by themselves, for themselves, um, proprietary or uh, niche market white labels that are aimed either towards, let's just say, educational institutions or um, small banks. While there's been this steady state of high-touch, high-service, I think some of these boutique FX firms uh, have put on their fintech hat and they've taken to market some really, really interesting uh, solutions. In terms of where we see the industry today, I think there is you know, continual fast-paced change. Uh, we've seen you know, more verticals stand up. We've seen specializations within these verticals. So, for example, uh, we have seen um, verticals that not only solve the problem for, I suppose, the end consumer that's making the foreign exchange transaction or the global payment, but then extend the offering to turn around and integrate into ERPs and financial accounting softwares to do the last mile of reconciliation or currency management from a books and records perspective. I think the last the last 10 years, massive evolution to take the inertia of global digitalization. But as we stand today, I think that inertia just continues to expand. It continues to, to build. These solutions are getting quite elegant, they're getting quite involved. And I think the net sum effect is, I would say, market share and profit. So from 15 years ago, a boutique high-touch, high-service firm to what they look like today, it's, it's almost uh, hard to uh, connect the dots. There's been such a massive evolution. So a lot of the companies that I, I've come across in my time at Currency Cloud that are in the FX broker space are companies that have been around for 30 years and they have some of the best rates in the business and it's very hard to compete in that way. But they either haven't kept up with the tech evolution or they just lack the resources to take advantage of it. Do you work with companies like this? Do you think those companies are going to survive in the next five years? If you're a 30-year-old FX broker and your primary operating model is high-touch, high-service, and you're not really too tech-involved, the issue comes down to whether you're able to or willing to build what is necessary to go compete in a tech space. And so how do they evolve? Do they go out and build complicated software? Do they go out and build tech-first payment rails? It's it's quite a leap. So that's where I think Datasoft has stood up. We've thought to ourselves, you know, if we are successful in building a core platform that is, in fact, end-to-end, once all that plumbing is properly in place, then I think what we've seen, even with some of our older clients, is the transition is not as daunting. There's definitely an evolution that needs to occur. There's definitely a way to uh, conduct a front office that is high-touch, high-service, but then also conduct a front office that is more you know, fintechy in nature. So that evolution does occur, but it doesn't become a massive mountain. To your earlier point, does the high touch, high service model go away? I don't think it does. I think it remains. I think competitive forces will strain that industry. However, it's really about what else can be put onto that front office and what else can go to market. On the other hand, digital experiences and customer journeys, there's been a paradigm shift that one size cannot fit all. 
a travel company looking to do 300 payments today is very different than a CFO trying to make a single payment for a given AP invoice. Those two elements are two very separate journeys. So I think it's really about being ready for the moment and being ready with the technology stack that allows for relatively turnkey, Scott. Market for foreign exchange is still like so nascent and like there's still so much room to grow within that. When we work with our customers, there's so many advantages to selling the FX and there's a lot of opportunity out there. But at the same time, as the market gets more saturated and as like adoption of selling foreign exchange services grows, the spreads become tighter and it makes it harder to make money on the FX alone. Is the FX market work the same as it does in the US and Canada as it does in, say, Singapore and the UK and Australia and the other places that you work at? Or is the banking infrastructure in these companies different such that the opportunity to sell foreign exchange is different everywhere you go? In Canada, specifically, our banking sector is, is a bit unique in the sense that we don't have as many banks as, as many other G6, G7 type countries. And so there's a lot of opportunity, or there has been historically a lot of opportunities where I'd say some of the best FX firms have stood up out of Canada. You look at Cambridge and Apex and, and Firma and, and others, they've done quite well and, and all of them have roots or origins in Canada. Other sectors such as Asia Pacific, you see foreign exchange that can be very, very price sensitive. However, the very nature of trying to handle business to business transactions uh, that are cross border still has an incredible amount of friction. So it's definitely different in different corners of the world. I'm going to jump to something a little bit off the wall. So one of the things that I think about a lot is blockchain and cryptocurrencies, not talking about FTX and trying to get rich quick schemes, but more so, <laughs> more so about how those kinds of technologies can enable a frictionless cross-border experience. And so some of the remittance companies that I've spoken to and worked with are offering crypto as a way for people to pay their friends and family abroad. How do you see this market growing in terms of what crypto can do for cross-border payments? And how is it different from foreign exchange from fiat to fiat? And I ask you as someone who's worked in FX for a long time, how do you see that as part of your future strategy? And you know, how should your customers start to be th- wrapping their heads around this? Or is it just something that's too soon to call? <laughs> well, that's a fun question there, Scott. As a technology person, I totally understand its power. I totally understand uh, what it can do. But as a uh, FX fiat person, you know, I sort of scratch my head on certain compliance elements. There still remains, you know, notwithstanding what's happening with FTX and, and other things, there still remains a bit of a stigma insofar as the compliance elements related to crypto. If I go and take a look at perhaps one of our faster growing client base out of Asia Pacific, it comes really down to application. Let me put it this way. Some of their clients are in underbanked countries in that part of the world. And if you're sitting on a shipping dock with a container ready to put it on a ship and you know keep hitting the refresh button to see if your MT-103 has arrived, the business opportunity of just seeing it flow through a blockchain and then relying on it so that you can just continue on with your business, i.e. put the, put the container on the ship, that's really what it comes down to. And what surprised me the most was just the simple need for that type of application. The growth of fiat to on-ramp onto crypto, right back to off-ramp, its application in, like I said, these unbanked or underbanked countries has seen a, a really, really high growth curve. Now, 
When it comes down to it, will a real-time payment infrastructure meet the need from a purely business aspect? Will it meet the need of this container sitting on, on the shipping dock rated load? Will the reliance on a real-time cross-border payment network solve for that? I think in part, it definitely will. And if I see the direction of domestic payment systems as they go onwards onto real-time capability, um, I find myself in a position that if that business application is solved, that the costs are contained, that beneficiary deduction fees are contained, that reliance on data is capable, I find myself saying that uh, I think the fiat world will definitely solve more than it does today. So do I mean to say that crypto is is not a good solution or, or, or anything of that sort? I'm not quite there yet, but I think it's too early to tell given the compliance stigma that still follows it, right? And again, I'm still not referring to FTX. I'm just talking about typical um, compliance pillars to ensure that uh, regulatory oversight is sufficient, that it's reliable um, in, in a geopolitical security context. If I were executing a multi-million dollar international business deal, I wouldn't say, hey, here's my Bitcoin wallet. I don't think that's how it would work. Unless, unless you don't have a choice, right? Yeah. If you don't have a choice and you're unbanked or underbanked, then today you're already doing that is really what my point is in, in my observation. But I agree with, you know, is it ready for the big show? Perhaps it will definitely get there. Um, but it has to have those compliance pillars in place for it to take over mass adoption, I feel. That's one of those things where the globalized economy has moved faster than the payments infrastructure can keep up with the demand of cross-border payments. And that follows not only for the underbank community in Asia, but also for Americans. You know, they take for granted foreign exchange. They don't think about it at all. Uh, most community banks don't have an offering for foreign exchange, even though many of their customers need it. Uh, most consumers, when they travel abroad, they're okay with charging the 3% on their credit card bills. As more players get involved and spreads go down, they're going to have to find ways to make money either by just having them more volume or by having a, a technology that solves problems for these customers. We're still operating on a, a swift payment system that involves messaging through several different partner banks just to transfer from one bank to another. So if I want to send money from my bank in the US and I want to send it to um, my friend's bank in India, it might have to send, pass through five different partner banks just to reach that one destination. And that messaging system is going through different back offices at banks that are uploading payment details via Excel and could lose the payment and are taking fees along the way. Whereas in a future state, perhaps with a blockchain, it would just go from wallet to wallet and there would just be a ledger movement as opposed to this very complicated international system. That to me is, is, a, is a big opportunity within our market. With me having MTFX, it's almost like a known brand of the three brothers. And our story is interesting in the sense that MTFX's competitors knowingly have used Datasoft, FX Office, uh, knowing that I'm the youngest brother, have used our platform. And so the interesting part is obviously where the dinner conversations are, are quite uh, I'm perhaps the enemy sometimes. <laughs> um, 
But at the same time, I think the camaraderie in, in the industry is also centered with us at FX Office, right? We've built best practice compliance componentry on the back of advice from all parties, all of our clients. We've sat there and we've looked at operational demands and we've continued to stem out enhancements. And the symbiotic nature of MTFX, but also with their competitors through us, all based on, of course, uh, very strict trust principles and security principles. It's been a benefit, I think, to the Canadian counterparts that MTFX obviously uh, competes against. But it has meant that FX Office has just has taken off. It's taken off in terms of best practices. It's taken off in terms of breadth and depth. Some of the ideas obviously come from the MTFX world. Some of the ideas come from from others. So, you know, when it's in the DNA, dinner conversations are definitely fun. Um, you know, they're <laughs> mostly about how to do things better. I always enjoy listening to all the different brothers and different perspectives and you guys give each other, um, bust each other's chops and it's always hilarious to hear, but um, it is impressive seeing what, what each of you has done. It is funny because yeah, you, you guys provide the the platform in, in certain ways, different compliance uh, programs and the ability to manage the FX exposure for your clients. And if MTFX is an FX broker themselves, then they're directly competing with your own customers. So I always think that's a funny story. And I imagine with uh, the characters in play that the dinners are always a good time and, and entertaining to listen to. Well, maybe to the extent that um, you and I can talk about it offline, but certainly not on a podcast, Scott. Um, <laughs> I think that would get us both in trouble. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, uh, thanks a lot, Raheem, for coming. I really appreciate your insights on the FX market. There's no other person that I know that is as knowledgeable as you. Don't tell Hanif I said that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, appreciate you coming and, and um, best of luck with your future growth. Likewise, I think uh, there's an interesting road ahead of us and I really appreciate you hosting me, Scott. Well, thanks a lot, Raheem. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for joining us here on Payments Innovation. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. Connect with Currency Cloud on Twitter or LinkedIn to find out more. And remember to subscribe by your favorite podcast player. Until next time.